You are now listening to X in the City with our host, No. What is up, everybody? You are now listening to episode 5 of Tex in the City. Coming straight out of my microphone into your ears. Uh, let's see, what day is it today? It is May 22nd, 2019. It's been probably a full month since I have recorded or put out an episode. And the reason for that is many. Um, one is I've been super busy at work. Um, one of our other LDs is out uh, programming for Fits in the Tantrums and Young the Giant. Or not both of them, but Fits in the Tantrums. So he's uh, doing that, so I've had to cover a lot more shifts at uh, the venue lately. So, uh, yeah, and just a bunch of other more personal stuff that's been kind of happening. Just have not been able to, or really, yeah, have not just have not been able to, like, get an episode out or recorded or really ideas. Just haven't had the time or the stuff that I have done with my free time is just taking up other things, like whether it's the garden or my car or whatever. Um, but yeah, so uh, let's continue. And as we always do, I'm going to start with a little bit of news. There's nothing like super newsy going on right now in terms of like new stuff. Uh, but I will go over uh, the Billboard Music Awards plot, the designer and all the lift off, list off their gear list here and see if I can give you a little uh, kind of a, a picture of uh, how it how it looks. And of course, with all these award shows, uh, plots, it's very intense. Lots of fixtures, lots of dress, lots of everything. Um, but yeah, so let me uh, let me just uh, go off the list here and uh, give you the info. Um, all right, here we go. So this is the Billboard Music Awards 2019 plot. Uh, the designer was John Kushner. The directors. Uh, and slash programmers. So these guys are the directors slash programmers. So probably more on the programming side. It was Ryan Tanker and Eric Marshwinski. And the dedicated director was Travis Hagenbuck. Um, uh, again, Billboard Music Awards. Now I'm going to list off this massive gear list for you. And again, if you want to... Uh, I'm just reading out of live design. If you want to go look at the plot, uh, Live Design has a PDF and a whole page kind of explaining it. Um, so if you'd rather have like a visual than me just saying it, go for it. But uh, here we go. So to start, they had 254 Color Kinetics Color Blast TRX RGBAW, 4 ETC Source 4 26 degrees, 6 36 degrees, and 14 and uh, I think six more 14 degrees, and those are the LED HD models of uh, the Source 4 Leco. Then we had 52 TMB Solaris flares, 8 JDC-1 strobes from GLP, 140 normal Solaris flares, um, well, I guess more Solaris flares. They listed them twice for some reason. <laughs> and then 8 Solaris flare Razor 100 centimeters, um, 16 Palace Light, I actually don't know what that is, but it's spelled P-A-L-L-A-S. And then two Strong Gladiator 3s, seven Strong Super Troopers, long models, 20 uh, Rush Par 2 from Martin. I have those in uh, my rig at work, and I do like them. <coughs> I use them as a floor package sometimes. Uh, and then 12 VL5 washes, six VL2600 spots, 
10 VL 3500 washes, 44 VL 3500 wash effects, 72 GLP GT1s, 6 PRG best boys and 2 bad boys with the ground control, 172 PRG Icon Edge, 211 GLP Impression X4s, 40 X4 bar 10s, 118 X4 bar 20s, 136 Clay Packy Sharpies, and then 6 Clay Packy Senius Unicos to uh, round it off there. Uh, so yeah, pretty hefty rig, pretty heavy on the VLs, like they tend to be. I just did a gig not too long ago where we had a bunch of VL 3500s and 4000s washes and spots. <laughs> Man, those things take so freaking long to uh, to lamp on. I remember when I was flashing the rig, it straight up took like five minutes from me giving the command to them lamping off and then or lamping on and the same thing to lamp off. And unfortunately, when I lamped off, it didn't go through all the way because it takes so long. So uh, the ME and a couple of the electricians that were that I was working with packed up the console for the night um, before I guess it could probably send the DMX signal. So I had to go through each and manually uh, turn them off in the menu. So that was kind of fun. Just another, just had to stay for an extra like five ten minutes <laughs> to get that done. But rookie mistake, or I guess just a silly mistake. Um, I should have thought about that <laughs> when I was doing it. Um, but yeah, so. That's the uh, gear list we've got, and in terms of actual setup, let me see if I can kind of give you a little a little glimpse of, of what it looks like. Basically, to me, what it looks like is you have the seating area, which is pretty standard stuff, and then the middle part, which is where they would walk, and then you hit the uh, the first part of the stage, which is like a big, uh, it looks like it's a square, but it's a little bit off angle, so it's not straight onto the square. Um, the walkway is going straight onto one of the corners, and so it goes right through the middle of the square. And then you hit the main stage, um, and then you get all your your above <coughs> uh, above ground truss um, or above stage truss and all that stuff. Um, but it's a huge it's a huge venue. There's tons of seating all around. There's like a truss structure going all around in different levels. So uh, yeah, a lot of gear. But on the actual stage here, it looks like it looks like they they have another. It kind of goes down the middle and then goes into another little square, and then it kind of breaks out from there. Um, kind of like, honestly, a, a kind of a typical awards show setup, at least from the top view. Um, but yeah, very complex. Uh, a lot to look at. Um, but yeah, every time I look at these, I'm like, man, I would not want to be the guy that has to hang all this stuff. Like, obviously, it's not just left, left to one guy. But man, that's a, uh, that's a tall job. Um... Something uh, <laughs> somebody does though, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure they get paid a lot to do it. But uh, yeah, a lot of work, a lot of fixtures, a lot of fixtures. I should have uh, done a count here to see how many fixtures there actually are in total. <laughs> um, but it looks like I'll, I can give you a breath estimate. There's probably over 500, definitely over 500 for sure, no doubt. But yeah, that's the lighting plots for the 2019 Billboard Awards show. Now, if you want to go look at this, you can just go look. <clears throat> on the Live Design website, or really any other, like PLSN or any of the other lighting news networks. I'm sure they, they've probably posted it. They always post the same stories, so they probably posted a PDF too just to go take a look at and dissect um, these award shows. It's always cool to look at the Billboard, the Grammys, CMAs, all that stuff, A lot because a lot of it is in Vegas too. Um, I've never actually been to one. I probably never will unless I work one, but... Uh, yeah, so that's the uh, lighting plot for the 2019 Billboard Music Awards. Now, moving on here to the next little story that I have for you. 
I wrote it down. Uh, was something that isn't necessarily lighting related um, at all. Uh, but it is definitely something that we need to pay attention to in our industry. Um, specifically for outside and festivals and stuff. And I would, I would say specifically for like LED walls and stuff. Um, but it's more of like a, a safety thing, if anything. But I'm going to talk about, because there was a video released. Um, what are they called? By A4i.tv about the Beaufort scale, which is a measurement system for wind speed and wind pressure. That actually can be very important to our industry on the rigging side of things. Um, so I thought I'd maybe share that with you. But basically, the Beaufort scale is a scale that was devised in 1805 by an Idris hydrographer, Francis Beaufort, later Rear Admiral Sir Francis Beaufort of the Royal Navy, while serving on the HMS Woolwich. That's kind of like the little history behind it. But essentially, what it is, is it... It has different tiers. It's almost like the Richter scale or a seismic scale. It's got different tiers of wind speed and what that actually means, what it feels like, how fast it is, um, and kind of gives you an idea of the environment in that. So, like, how many, how, like, if twigs fly around or flags will fly around, loose paper will fly around, or cars will fly around, God forbid. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so basically it's a 1 to 12 scale. Um, going from calm at 0 to strong breeze at 6, and then all the way to 12 is just a straight-up hurricane. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'll read from, from 0. we got calm, 1 is light air, 2 is light breeze, 3 is gentle breeze, 4 moderate breeze, 5 fresh breeze, 6 strong breeze, and then it just goes up from there. Um, and then on Wikipedia here, which is what I'm looking at right now, um, it kind of gives you different conditions. See, like on calm, the sea is like a mirror. Smoke rises vertically. Um, on the light air, ripples with the appearance of scales. Direction shown by smoke and drift, but not by wind vanes. And then once you get up to six, which is a strong breeze, large branches in motion, whistling can be heard. Telegraph wires, umbrellas used with difficulty. Um, and then all the way down to hurricane, which is <laughs> all it says under uh, land conditions is devastation. And then uh, for the the air is filled with foam and sea spray. Sea is completely white with driving spray. Visibility very seriously affected. So as you can kind of gather, um, in an outdoor venue or in a festival setting or you know any outdoor concert or event, <coughs> you can definitely see how if it's depending on I guess where you are in the world or how windy it is or if there's a storm, it is definitely something that you need to take into account when you're hanging and rigging things in the air. Um, because with a lot of that rigging stuff, you know, as you go up, things can multiply by two to four times. It's not just linear. Um, so it's something to definitely take into account. Um, but the main thing, and in their video they say the main <coughs> safety thing for at least our industry is uh, calculating wind pressure. And it's a variable, so it depends on the wind speed. But basically the equation is wind speed over... 1600 so that's kilonewton over meters squared is what you're trying to find so you're trying to find the kilonewtons over meter i hope i'm saying that right over meter squared and then a wind speed which is calculated by meters over a speed squared 
divide that by 1600 and that should give you a, a rough, it's not exact, um, they say, but it'll give you at least a, a general idea of the wind pressure. Um, but again, it changes with, it, everything's so variable, like it changes with wind speed, it changes with, you know, air content, and it changes with elevation. But just something I like to share and for anybody to go look into, because as lighting people, sometimes we have to deal with some kind of rigging. Um, so it's kind of good to know, uh, just in the back of your head, um, think when, when you're working on festivals, because we've all seen those videos where those LED walls like either fly off or they're blowing in the wind and it's just dangerous and everyone has to clear the stage. We've all seen that, so it's definitely uh, something that you see happen and something to take into account. Um, but I thought that was kind of interesting, um, not lighting related, but definitely ties in. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that. I always like tying in other stuff into uh, into my uh, passion for like lighting and stuff into work. Um, recently in terms of uh, YouTube kicks and like just content ticks and what I've been like really diving into lately has been space um, like galaxies planet formation and a lot of the really far off theories and theoretical physics um, and theoretical astronomy theoretical astrobiology is kind of what I've really been tearing into recently um, a lot of really interesting stuff but it's always cool to to hear stuff about like the photon like for example something, I was listening to a theoretical technology that is actually technically being researched into being developed by um, this group called, uh, I think Starshot is what they're called. But basically, a light sail is you have a really thin, and there's no material yet that they have come up with, but it's got to be a really thin, highly reflective material. And in theory, you know, you can write off of, you know, photons from the sun, but specifically um, in the... And what we're thinking about now is basically you have the sail and you shoot it up into the atmosphere um, with a balloon or whatever, and then you have a laser. But it can't be, it can't be like a two-focused laser. Basically, it has to be some really weak laser beams all focused into one spot, and the material has to be strong enough to be able to resist damaging or just burning through it, or it has to reflect enough back, um, and you can achieve, apparently, up to uh, one-fifth of light speed or more. Um, so you can almost achieve light speed by this, by, by almost propelling yourself with photons, which is really interesting and really crazy to think about considering how small photons are. But if you think about it, that is kind of a logical way for how you could achieve light speed um, by somehow riding or hitching a ride, or using the pressure, because it does exist, the pressure from tiny little photons from light to to propel yourself in space, because it, like, in space, it's a vacuum, so in theory, there's nothing stopping that spacecraft from, or nothing resisting that spacecraft, other than maybe gravity or whatever, um, from moving forward. So if you can get the spacecraft into space and then shoot um, a bunch of weak lasers focused on one spot, in theory, you could propel yourself to near or one-fifth or near light speed, um, which would drastically decrease your travel time um, to, because everything, everything in space is, uh, is in light years, so it's a, it's, a, it's a distance and a time, because time and distance are, are interrelated like that, but uh, yeah, so basically you can achieve one to one-fifth of light speed <clears throat> which would help us get to places a lot faster. And basically the goal is, I'm going off on a huge tangent here, but it's cool. 
Um, basically, the goal is to make it so that they can go and explore other solar systems or other galaxies um, in a time frame that humans can live through. For example, like instead of taking, you know, a hundred billion or a hundred million years to get to this galaxy, at near light speed it might just take us 20 years or 30 years or, you know, that kind of thing. You kind of get what I'm saying. But yeah, so just kind of an interesting thing I'd tie into uh, light science and how we use light as humans um, for events and stuff. Um, but I, I like to think about that because, you know, we use light um, for utility here, for design. You know, the way we use light is a very utilitarian, but it's very interesting to see the properties of light um, or the true properties of light, <clears throat> like the quantum physical properties of light or the, the general relativity concepts of light. I like to, uh, I like to try to viscerally understand what it is we're exactly, we're slinging around, you know, we're slinging photons, for example. So, uh, just something that I like to, to look into and share with you guys. Um, totally unrelated. I went on an astronomy tangent there, but like I said, honestly, I've been absorbing so much astronomical information the past couple weeks. Um, don't know what I'll move on to next, but, uh, yeah, so I just like to tie that into what we're talking about here, but yes, Beaufort scale. <laughs> we're way past that, but yeah, wind pressure. Make sure when you're hanging stuff in the wind that you uh, either do the calculations or you just be safe about it for rigging. But uh, let's move on to... I'll, I'm going to highlight a show um, for one specific reason. So, we'll, kind of a longer news segment here, but I'd like to highlight Wiz Khalifa's show for the sole reason that they're using a campsis, which I found really interesting. Let me pull up what he says why he runs a Camsys, but, but it's a 90 universe show, Wiz Khalifa, and he's running it off of a Camsys MagicQ MQ500 um, that he rented from upstaging. But yeah, it's a, it's a nine, 90 universe show, and it's for Co for uh, his Coachella show specifically. Um, <clears throat> basically what he says is, I didn't see the Camsys desk until I arrived at the festival. I built the patch and show file in a Viz room on site. Being able to build a show with a few hours and only get on the lighting system for three hours made time of the essence, which is why he chose Camsys as the ideal console for a crunch. And his work was super fast. It was a 20-song show. He had three hours, I think, on-site, of actual on-site programming with the rig. Um, so it's crazy. I mean, I guess, so, see, everyone kind of sleeps on the Camsys, you know, you know, and I'm an MMA fanboy, so obviously I do too. Um, but I did do a tour where the it was a when I was out with the National they were using a Camsys I think it was an MQ500 or or something it was a, definitely a Magic Q, um, because the designer for that show used uh, Camsys and he said you know big reason reason he chose Camsys is because one it's a lot cheaper and uh, you can basically rent it out or you know make money off a console and then it pays for itself over and over again I think he said like oh man the console since I bought it paid for itself you know three times over, because I think they only cost like eight grand. I could be wrong. Um, I don't remember, but I think I remember eight grand being around how much a, you can get a Camsys Magic Q4, which is a great deal, and it is a powerful console. You can do multi-step effects, which is another reason why the National was using it. Um, you know, it's a full console. It's got a previs, I think, thing in it, or something like that. Um, I don't know if it's like an MA3D type of thing, but I know they have some kind of visualizer or something inside, um, and the multi-step effects obviously is a huge selling point, and the price is a huge selling point. Um, and it's very usable. The only thing that I don't like about it, which is probably most people's complaints about it, is the interface. 
the interface is a very dated feeling. It's very uh, minimalist, which some people might like. Um, but I'm so used to the MA interface that uh, it's weird. When I when I think about it, using the CAMSYS, it's almost like I'm using a computer, like, s operating system, almost. Like, more of like a Windows-based thing than MA. Because MA is all proprietary-based, and so is CAMSYS, I'd imagine. But it just has the appearance of a more like Windows Vista or like Windows, you know, older Windows. It just looks more dated, even if it isn't. But that's my real only real complaint, as I haven't used it extensively, so I can't say anything about the workflow. But I've I've heard, you know, it's pretty pretty simple stuff. Um, good console, good for uh, good for like he says, good for getting in a crunch. Um, so you know, and Camsys is one of those. I really want to learn Avo. Uh, but Camsys is one of those consoles I'd like to know how to use so I can use it like in a clutch situation where it's like, oh man, I can't get an MA, can't get a blah, 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 blah. I know how to use a Camsys. Because at Camsys, I think, what what do they always sell you for the Camsys when people are shilling Camsys to you? It's like, oh, 64 Universe is right out of the console, man. It's like, which is cool, yeah. yeah I mean, you're not wrong. So definitely uh, one of those consoles that I kind of want to have in my back pocket. Um, Just like Avo. Um, because, you know, it's a good desk. It's a good desk. I would say it's definitely underrated. Um, but like I said, I don't have too much experience with it, but, uh, you know, people use them for professional shows. They get the job done, that's for sure. And they get the job done a lot cheaper. So, you know, you can't really knock it too much on that front. Uh, yeah, that's it for the news and the highlighting, you know, shows of, uh, the month or the week or whatever. Um, but moving on, I want to talk about something that I should have talked about a long time ago, but this is resumes. Now, resumes for our industry can be kind of tricky, and a lot of people don't know what to put on. Um, and a friend of mine had asked me to be answered in the podcast, like, okay, how do you show your level of skill through your resume, right? How do you show whoever you're sending your resume to your level of skill and what you know, <clears throat> what you need to know, what you want to know, just your general level of ability um, and knowledge when it comes to lighting or programming or about consoles, you know. It's a very important thing. And resume is oftentimes your very first impression with an artist or a tour manager or whatever. So what everybody will tell you, though, universally, is you want your resume to be concise you want to try to get most or all of your important information on the first page. Um, and that applies to basically any resume for any industry. But definitely applies for our industry because think about it this way. you got these tour managers who, who go through these resumes. They want to be able to look, see what you're all about, you know, in a matter of like seconds. So Because they're going to have a big stack of resumes. So if your resume is hard to read or they can't find the information or it's too long, they're probably just going to toss it into the the uh, no stack. Um, so you definitely want to keep it concise. Um, but what I, how I have my resume set up, and I think I have a pretty good resume, I've gotten good, uh, good mileage out of it, is basically at the top, I just list my name and my contact information, obviously, almost as like a header. And then what I'll do is I'll add my objective. Um, just a short sentence explaining what my goals, current goals are and where I'm hoping to be. Because it kind of gives them an idea of, okay, this guy's ambitious. Oh, this guy's he's driven. Um, 
And then after that, I will list skills. Now, these I, I kind of think of as specific things like, okay, MA2 programming, lighting design and operation, um, building rigs, um, lighting director, lighting design, programming. You know, there's very specific skills that you have that you want them to know that you have. And it can be anything, you know, um, as long as it, you know, is relevant enough to uh, what you're applying for. Because, again, you do not want to add a bunch of unnecessary information because that's just going to take up space, one, and it's just going to be so super cluttered and just not as aesthetically pleasing to look at. Um, so definitely keep it concise. Another thing for our industry specifically is don't don't go and make a huge list of every show you've ever done. Maybe maybe pick a few and highlight them like just to show the level of the highest level show shows that you've been a part of and what position. Um, like if you're you're an LD and you say, okay, the biggest show I've ever done is Eurovision 2019. Well, you're probably pretty set. <laughs> so yeah, that's a good way. A lot of guys kind of I feel like uh, at least in my experience of talking to resumes throughout, you know, even in high school and stuff, is uh, if they should add, like, all of these shows, like, because they want to, like, really make it, look, oh, look, they've done all of these shows. But, you know, interviewers are more interested in, you know, what you know, not what you've done, right? So you want to pick a show or or do it in such a way that really highlights your, your level of ability without, you know, being cluttered. Um, so that's kind of what I do. And then after that, I will list uh, experience, like actual experience. That can be a show, that can be a tour. I kind of split mine up into touring and then other experience. So I'll go with touring first because usually I'm applying to touring gigs, so I'll, I'll make sure that that's up there. So I'll put my touring experience and then I'll put my actual experience, which is um, on the ground, like where I started, um, the companies that I worked for, um, the venue that I work for now, my main gigs, and uh, I like make sure to highlight what exactly I do in those positions. I mean, obviously they're going to know what each position is, but it's good to just give a general overview of what you do. Um, but yeah, so then after that, I'll list references. Um, and two or three, you know, it doesn't have to be crazy, just two or three references, what they do, where they're from, you know, and their contact information. Um, I used to not be big on references just because I've never had to have someone actually call references on me or something like that but I know it is more important in our industry to have references from people because a lot of the time you're bringing dudes on for for key roles that you've never met before but let's say that they've worked with somebody that you put on your reference list well there you go they can just call them up and be like hey man uh Noah applied for this you know LD position for the tour you know do you recommend him does he know what he's doing like what do you think and they'll be like yeah take him on he's great whatever so I'll list that last, and then very last, I'll list education. Um, and I kind of have a hot and cold relationship with education. Um, but basically, I've heard uh, touring, hiring people in our industry specifically, like on Facebook or whatever, or even just talking to them, that, you know, oftentimes education can almost make you look worse in a way. Um, and I hate to, you know, I knock on college and university all the time, not on the podcast, but <laughs> just in real life in general. But man, I've heard people say that, that, um, they, if they hate seeing like education as like the main part of your resume, um, because, you know, 
to at least because here's the thing: the hist- historically and just in general, our our industry is is extremely experience based. Extremely experience based. It's not an academic field. It's not rocket science. It's exp- It's more like a trade. It's more like a trade, if anything, like becoming an electrician or a plumber or whatever. It's a stagehand is a trade for sure. So obviously, it's experience based and not you know education based. Um, but there is education, and not everyone knocks on education. Like thing about education for like theater and stuff is like it really depends on what your goals are right if your goal is to be a concert touring ld you don't need to go to school you should get on the ground and get experience you know start pushing boxes and then get into a control position and then get a resume going um that's what i did but if you want to do stuff like theater or let's say architectural lighting design then getting a degree might be a better idea like everybody i know um that has a theater degree is is doing theater. They're not doing concert touring. They're not doing corporate events. They're doing theater, or they or they want to do theater. So in that aspect, I can say, okay, if you want to actually do theater as an art form, yeah, go go get a, a you know a design technical design degree from from somewhere. But wh- another thing that I tell people, because a lot of people will come up to me and ask, like, did you go to school for this? Right, because everyone, you know, at least my generation, the millennial generation, we've been basically (laughs) brainwashed that college, 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 college. So it's like everyone thinks it's God. Did you go to school for this? It's like, and I'm always like, no, um, you didn't really have to. But here's what I do tell people, because a lot of people just want degrees. I was like, if you do want a degree, and if you're gonna go to school anyways, and you want to get into uh, this industry, I would either get an engineering degree, mechanical or electrical. Um, or computer engineering or computer programming or software programming degrees because those will give you really hard scientific knowledge behind all of the stuff that we're doing. Because, like, for example, a console is just really a big computer. And if you're a real-life skilled computer programmer, you're going to have a lot easier of a time programming stuff on an MA because it's going to be, like, second nature to you. You already know program languages. You know how you know, computer software works, so it would really be a simple thing for you to do. But it's the same kind of thing for mechanical and electrical engineering. Like, if you want to be a master electrician or something, if you've got an engineering background, well, man, you're going to look really good. Um, because you're going to know, okay, this guy's basically an engineer. Like, for example, like, when a, versus hiring me versus hiring someone with, like, a bunch more experience in, like, software engineering degree, that makes you look good, because that's that's some hard hard stuff, hard science, um, much more so than a technical design degree, because a lot of these theater design and lighting design degrees are going to be more abstract, artistic-based than technology-based, which is kind of silly, considering it's a, a technology degree in a way, but uh, yeah, so whenever I tell people about education for this field, I always say you know, obviously, you know, if you want to do theater, then okay, sure, go get a theater degree. But if you want to do concert touring, just go bust your ass. Um, but if you want to, uh, if you want to get a degree and to have a, a really solid uh, knowledge base about networks, you know, computer programming, electrical engineering, computer engineering, mechanical engineering, you know, because it's all in there, um, I would definitely get a STEM degree, uh, a STEM degree in something that's somewhat related to 
to lighting, like uh, or for example, optical engineering. Like a lot of these lighting companies will hire engineers who are familiar with optics, you know, the the and light, um, and the engineering behind light and the engineering behind optics and stuff and photometrics and stuff like that, because those are the guys that are engineering these lights and stuff like that. So that, you know, even if, for example, let's say you don't want to tour necessarily, but a, another part of this industry is engineering. A huge part of this industry um, is engineering, you know. And probably a huge driving force behind all the technology is engineering. So, you know, if you have a background in that, then, man, these, these tours and these, these shows are going to want to pick you up because, man, you're an engineer, you know. You're an engineer. That gives you an edge... Uh, over everyone else if you're an actual engineer versus just calling yourself an audio engineer. It's like, oh, no, I am an actual engineer. Mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, you know, optical engineering. You name it. If you have that skill and background, that's going to make you look good. So in that instance, I would wholeheartedly recommend school um, if you want to break into this industry. Um, But like I said, it's not for everybody. You don't need to go to school. Everything can be learned on the job or you're on your free time. It's not rocket science. So really it's just a personal choice and a goal choice um, whether or not you decide to go to school. But like I said, don't put that at the forefront of your resume because it's going to make you look almost like a noob, if that makes sense. Like, oh, this guy's straight out of college. He thinks he knows everything. Because, you know, as you know, as not true as it, you know, as, as generalizing as it may be, um, students who graduate from college have this, uh, and whether or not it's true or not, like I said, you know, it's probably on an individual basis, but they have this air, almost an arrogance to them, like, oh, I have a degree, which kind of translates into them not being willing to learn on the job or, you know, or, or acting like they already know everything because they have a degree. Um, and it, it's just kind of how a lot, some people can just graduate with that mindset because our culture is like that. It's like, oh, degrees, everything. It's like, oh, you know, oh, you have a college degree. You have to have a college degree if you're going to be successful. If you're smart, you have to have a college degree. If you're going to make money, you have to have a college degree. So you can definitely see where that mindset would come from. But definitely um, take that into account. And it's more of a self-aware thing. It's like you really got to, you know, learn from yourself. Be like, okay, you know, am I acting like that or, or whatever? Then going on a tangent. But <laughs> but basically, like, just put school last Um in like unless of course you're a nuclear engineer like I said but if you if you're betting on school being your main thing of getting you jobs it's not and it might actually be a detriment so definitely um, experience before schooling is is my number one rule for resumes and just kind of life in general kind of life in general because man I'm not very much of an academic I'm more of a hands-on guy so. For me, I'd much rather just be thrown to the sharks on the job, doing whatever, you know, console work, figuring it out myself, than, than having someone else teach me in a classroom, because that's just not, I just don't learn very well that way, I just don't, I'm more of a, a doer than a, than a sit there and think about it too hard. And I'm sure a lot of people in this industry are like that, because, like I said, it's a uh, very experience-based industry. So that's kind of my opinion on resumes, and again, this is all my opinion, obviously, and, uh, you know, I'm not a guru with everything, I don't know everything, so feel free to, to correct me if I'm wrong, or chime in if you have any other ideas. Um, for example, um, you guys probably know David from uh, 
LearnStageLighting.com. Um, I had reached out to him to just give me uh, some feedback on the podcast, um, and he corrected me about my hazer history, which I really appreciate because, um, you know, I'm just kind of going off my own research, and sometimes I don't do, like, super hardcore research. So if I'm wrong about something, you hear it, please feel free to let me know. I'd love to learn. That's, that's what it's about anyways is learning. Um, but he contacted me about that, and speaking of that, I've been kind of slacking on it, and I haven't gotten back to him yet, but we're hoping to do some kind of collab, or kind of maybe I'll interview him, or a podcast episode with both of us on it. I've Like I said, I've been super busy um, with life and work that I just haven't been able to get back to him, which I kind of feel bad, so David, if you're listening, I apologize. Um, hopefully I'll be able to get an email to you the next week or so, and uh, hopefully we'll get something going. Um, but yeah. That's another great resource, by the way, if you want to learn, is uh, learn about stage lighting, is learnstagelighting.com. He has tons of videos, and he goes over, he's really one of the only guys that goes over the hardcore, like, basics. Like, if you know nothing about DMX, or plugging lights, or building a rig, you could just go binge watch uh, learnstagelighting.com, and you'll probably be, you know, pretty set. You'll be ready to go to the job, at least having some idea of what you're doing. So definitely go check him out, learnstagelighting.com com or learn staging on YouTube. I'm sure you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. But uh, definitely go check that out. Great resource. I've learned so, so much stuff uh, from just watching his videos. Um, but yeah, next and probably the last thing I'm going to talk about here is uh, something that I've talked about many times. Um, networking. And the reason I'm bringing it up again is because the other day, networking basically gives me PTSD almost <laughs> because when I was first starting out as an LD one of my first shows one of the, the one thing I was not sure about was networking because at my venue there's no hard copper it's all network based um, so you know you have to really know how your network works and where where the data flow is um, especially because a lot of the touring guys, they don't know how to network. They just don't. It's just not something that they have ever had to do or have learned how to do. So a lot of the times you're going to be flying, you know, by the seat of your pants that you're the one doing the networking, which is, which is crazy too, because a lot of the guys won't bring in MAs, right? And I'm an MA guy and, you know, most of my networking experience is all in MA. Like I, I've networked some hogs and I've networked some avos now, but I would definitely not say I know how to necessarily network that. So, really, it's kind of hit or miss depending, like, a day, like, for example, if it's a AVO, it's kind of hit or miss whether it's going to be a good day or not because it could be you trying to troubleshoot yourself on a console you've never used or, you know, if uh, sometimes the touring LD will know how to network and will know their console that well and it'll be easy. Um, but the reason I think of that now is uh, this past week I had a show come through that had an Avalite, and I had never previously really ever touched an Avalite. Um, I know there was one at Cycle Las Vegas when I did that, but I wasn't running the main stage, so I didn't use it. But, uh, yeah, so Avalite came through, and it was just an Avalite, I think a Tiger Touch 2, um, small console, and, you know, basically it was one universe, so basically I just ran our DMX line and under our snake hole, plug it in, and then I... Uh, Basically did an Artnet merge from our console. Um, just ran an Ethercon from port 2 into the back of her port um, and made sure Artnet and all that was activated correctly and I was sending the right number of universes. And then basically what she had to do was, and, and, and 
I was relieved too because right when I hit my give control macro, she had control of some of the stuff. So I knew at that point that she was talking, that they were talking to each other. And then basically from there on, it was basically her. Um, and Avil actually lets you see the nodes. Um, for example, like on Hog, uh, you don't actually see any of the nodes under the nodes uh, screen or whatever Hog does. But you, for example, it won't actually tell you what you're connected to, as far as I know. Um, but on uh, Avo, I noticed that it did, and it was like it said the name of the node and the IP address. So basically, um, I put her IP address in the right uh, range, and that's what I'm going to talk about next because that's really important. Um, and then basically, she just assigned it each line, assigned it, pff, assigned each line, um, like line 15, to the universe that she wants. So for example, let's say line, I want line. 15 to be universe uh, 16. Um, so then she can patch, you know, her rig as she goes. Um, and another thing I, I learned, which I, I kind of already knew already, but when you're sending artnet or you're receiving artnet, or you're doing an artnet merge or, or whatever, um, for example, on an MA, I can set to what universes I'm sending, and it's usually 1 through 18, um, but I had found out or just kind of, I guess I was reminded of, that if I don't, for example, all my stuff is on relays, so I have to turn on the relays and park them on, and that's how you get power to the fixtures. It's a really cool system, I like it. It's pretty easy, but now I've kind of realized that when I give these other consoles control, I don't have to give them Universe 18, which so that at that point they don't have to patch all of our uh, dimmers and our relays as dimmers um, and they don't have to deal with that. I can just control all that, um, which is important because it's kind of confusing, and a lot of the touring guys don't understand it, or I'll tell them, and they'll be like, oh, really? So it's good that I found that out because now, um, in most situations, I won't have to send them that universe, and I can just control the relays um, instead of them having to patch it and park them on. It's all just on my end, and they can just deal with the fixtures themselves, which is cool. But basically, when... Uh, Important thing about networking is IP addresses, obviously. At least when programming MA, the reason that they were talking to each other the first time is because um, if you go into, I think it's MA network configuration, or it's in the, one of the network menus, um, and then you go to DMX node and you can change the output, uh, the universe output and all that stuff. Um, but you can also change the amount of universes you're sending. Um, you can activate ArtNet input or output. But uh, basically... Um, you can go in there and you, you look at your IP address, right? Um, and it depends. There's three different IP addresses. There's the ones that are like 10.0.0.0. Then there's 2.0.0.0. And then there's the main one, which is like 198.268 or whatever, depending on your console or your your uh, your network. But basically, there's the main IP address, which is your console. For example, let's say someone brings in an MA2 to my uh, venue and I'm just going to give them line 1 or give them line 2, come straight out of the nodes into their console, um, they can just take the nodes and take the selection and just, uh, as long as he's within the correct IP address, they should show up and he should be able to control them. Um, but if it wasn't, for example, like, to give you an example with the AVO, is the Avalite came in and I told her, make sure that your IP address, because I was coming out of Ethercon port 2, so you can change the IP address for port 1 and port 2. But for port 2, I had it, mine is, is 
Um, so basically, for her console to, to communicate with that, she has to be within the IP address range. It can't be the same, though. So I, don't, I didn't want her to go into 2.0.0.5, but I put her in 2.0.0.6. And that applies to other IP addresses, too. Like, let's say it's the 10. It can be 10.0.0.1, and then change hers to 10.0.0.2, or, you know, it, it, within the range, the network range, the range of the IP addresses, but not necessarily the same IP address unless you want, unless you want it. But it's just something that I that I uh, think about a lot, and it's good to know when you're you're dealing with networking is is IP addresses because that can really make or break it. Like let's say you 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 connect two consoles together and you don't know why they're not communicating or she's not seeing it. Well, it might be an IP address issue. That's kind of the first thing that I go to. Um, but uh, there's tons of books and guides on this, uh, on network protocols, um, like Brad Schiller's the, sta- uh, the Automated Light Programming Handbook. A lot of the information that I'm saying is, is f- directly from that. Um, but I just wanted to give a little network blurb um, because networking has been one of the things that I really uh, stress out about. And it was really actually programming or connecting that Avalite to R-Rig was actually a, a really awesome moment for me because it kind of gave me almost like a cathartic release, like, oh, okay, I do know how to do that. You know, it worked on the first try, and I got that IP address, like I understood it. Now, there's no greater feeling than uh, proving to yourself that you know what you're doing, especially if you, you have this just in the back of your head, you know, stressing out that, oh, you know, what if I don't know how to do this, or what if I screw it up? But it was good to, uh, it was good to finally uh, uh, realize and to put into action some knowledge that I... I wasn't too sure about but now I feel a lot more confident about about networking and and all that stuff that I think I could I could probably network pretty good in any situation now um, and I've networked with enough consoles enough consoles to kind of understand how uh, networking works on like say a hog or a camsys or, or an avalite so definitely definitely something to know and it, let's if you're a lighting guy or an LD and you've never looked into networking, or let's say your, your your venue or whatever you're doing is a more traditional lighting rig where you just got a couple universes and some DMX lines, definitely pick up uh, the Automated Lighting Programmer's Handbook um, if you want to learn about all that stuff because it's tons of good information. There's tons of different protocols. There's a lot of different um, network, like skeletons and, and, and stuff like that, network products and like DMX 512 protocols. you got SACN, you know, ArtNet. Uh, it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff to know, um, and it's definitely good to have a background knowledge in general. That way, whenever you're working with, you know, different gear that you may not know, you at least have the very fundamental basics of networking to work on, and IP addresses and all that stuff to probably be able to figure something out. Um, and lastly, uh, kind of ties into networking is the reason that I was so stressed out about networking is because one of the first big shows I did was Sophie Tucker. Um, and she did have an MA light. Um, and thinking back on it now, it was just such a dumb mistake. I literally could have just ran her into port one, into our port one, and it should have just been the same. But honestly, in the moment, being that stressed out, I just could not think of it. And she didn't know how to do it. So it was really just us trying to really bust it out. And and it, man, we were programming up until ten minutes before doors, but we did get it done. But uh, basically, yeah, basically what had happened is I could not get her console control of our rig. Um, I just didn't, I just didn't know the networking. Honestly, I just didn't know. 
Um, so I called all the goos I know, and then I eventually figured it out. We both figured it out. I mean, that was a really good experience, even though, man, I have never been more stressed on a show in my life. But fortunately, their LD, she was really awesome to work with. We both learned. We both got it done. And it was a teamwork thing. And it was awesome. But just just an example of <laughs> of, of a networking nightmare, I guess. Um, and a lot of the times it can be something simple like an IP address or just running the right line or making everything within the right ranges. you know. And it was something easy. Thinking now that I know what I'm doing now or know more about networking now, I can look back and say, okay, wow. I know exactly what I did wrong. It was actually a very simple thing. But, uh, yeah, so that's all I got for you guys this episode of Tex in the City. This is episode 5, May 22nd, 2019. Hopefully this will be up relatively quickly. Um, and hopefully I won't be this long between episodes. Um, but I can't promise everything, obviously, because my schedule's so, you know, eclectic. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's all I got for you guys. Thanks for listening. Um... In terms of social media, you can find me on Twitter. Just search my name, Noah Adris. I'm on Facebook. I don't really use Facebook. Um, Instagram is lighting underscore underscore McQueen. It's a play on words of Lightning McQueen from movie cars. Lighting McQueen. Um, and if you just search my name, you should be able to find me, Noah Adris, um, for all those light picks and the occasional garden pick. <laughs> but yeah, again, feel free to contact me if you have any questions. Um, or you have any specific things you want to talk about or you just want to give good feedback or, you know, whatever it is. Um, totally open to uh, having a chat. And hopefully I'll have some of my friends on from the industry as well. And like I said before, maybe at some point having David from uh, Learn Stage Lighting um, on on an episode and get, learn, get our learn on. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. I've been your host, Noah, and you've been listening to episode five of Tex in the City, everybody's favorite production lighting podcast. Peace out, and uh, have a good one. Don't be too stressed.